Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters Podcast, a series of candid conversations with leading experts about how individuals and organizations can grow and protect their finances, tailored around current events and trends. Here's your host for today's podcast, Brian Peterangelo. Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters Weekly Podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, August 12th, 2022. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. In case you didn't know, today is National Vinyl Record Day. So if you're a classic rock music fan like I am, you might want to pull out a few old recordings and have a listen. With me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts. Some might say they're rock stars in their own right, here to share their thoughts on this week's market activity. Steve Haight, Head of Equities. Don Severno, Senior Lead Research Analyst covering international equities, and Justin Tentalo, Senior Lead Research Analyst covering U.S. equities. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series, addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. For this week's economic data, we had a light schedule. Of course, we had the Consumer Price Index inflation print on Wednesday, so we'll get the panel's reaction to those numbers. But in addition, in today's podcast, we'll have a robust conversation on the equity markets and hear more insights from our experts, specifically U.S. equities, international equities, and the private equity markets. So, Steve, let's kick off the conversation with some of your thoughts. Well, thanks, Brian. Definitely an interesting week. Even though the economic data was light, the CPI and PPI both came in and came in lighter than expectations. And that has really kind of changed the narrative yet again for the markets. Um, if you remember last week, uh, Rajiv and I were talking about how this report from the non-farm payrolls on Friday had set up the potential for there to be a discussion about whether or not the Jackson Hole Fed confab at the end of August was going to be a live Fed meeting or not. And here we are a week later, and that is now completely off the table. And we're talking about, again, is it 50 basis points instead of 75 basis points because the inflation numbers came in so much better than expectations. Equity markets responded favorably to this. Uh, we've seen the market clear that that 41.77 level, which had been pretty key on a chart basis, which had you know, served not only as resistance, but also kind of served as a beacon. Because now once you get closes above that, you start to see higher highs established. And, and potentially if we roll lower, lower lows, I mean, higher lows and higher highs and higher lows is the definition of a change in trend. So you know, I think we've we've seen a lot of people start to come to the conclusion that this is a new bull market. When you take a look at things that we watch, a number of breadth indicators, market internals, you know, they're they are not universally across the board telling us that this is a new bull, but there is an awful lot of evidence that is suggesting that uh, that that is exactly the case. So while not universal, uh, the balance of the evidence tells us, hey, you know, you, you've you've got to be you've got to be looking at this market now in a different way than what we have since early this year. Um, typical bear does not see 
a retracement or see a um, see a revisit of the lows or make new lows once you clear the 50% retracement of the peak to trough move. And right now, that is exactly where we sit. So I think uh, as we head into the back end of the year, you know, you've got the, the election cycle, you've got uh, the potential for earnings to possibly surprise to the upside uh, with this PPI CPI mix, throwing in a bit of dollar weakness, and you put that on top of the potential to see wages decrease as opposed to increase, given that we've had this, you know, inflationary impulse that maybe is starting to wane a little bit, you know, if we want to want to put our optimist hats on. Um, it seems to me that we're headed to a, a fairly decent place. And that is completely counter to where, uh, you know, all the, the flow of data and anecdotes have been over the last two or three months, for sure. Uh, if not before that. So, you know, the market has a funny way of seeing through all of the negativity and cutting to the chase about what's going to, what is going to occur or likely to occur in the future. And the market's just taking a more optimistic view of things right now. And that has flowed through not only in large cap equities, but it's also flowed through into small caps, other equity spaces. And, you know, when we think about the equity landscape, private equities really become a very important piece of the puzzle for investors over the last few years, um, and inclu including you know, providing diversification benefits in difficult macro environments like we've had in the first half of the year. We have Justin Tantalo on the call with us today. He's going to give you and share our additional thoughts or share some deeper thoughts on the current state of the private equity markets and how things have actually held up during that difficult first half of the year. Hey, Justin, how are you doing? Hey, Steve, how are you doing? Um, yeah, I mean, unlike uh, public equities, the private markets don't have uh, weekly returns or even monthly returns uh, and changing narratives, uh, for better or worse. Uh, but give you an insight into what we've seen in the first half of the year uh, and put in context with um, you know, how that relates to the public equity backdrop. Uh, if we start with sort of fundraising, uh, the first half of the year, North American PE fundraising was about $250 billion. Uh, that was down about 15% from record levels last year, uh, but we're still on a very healthy pace for probably what's going to be the second largest fundraise in history. So in aggregate, you know, private equity fundraising is about as strong as ever. Uh, if we take a look at some of the underlying segments and the health of those, uh, first we start with uh, buyout funds. Now these are what you traditionally think of as private equity. Uh, they focus on taking control of larger performing businesses. Uh, th that segment's been the least impacted uh, you can see some of the blue chip buyout managers like Carlisle, Blackstone, KKR. Uh, you know they're they're trucking along. They they continue to raise record sized funds, um, and the biggest of which are now in the range of twenty to twenty five billion dollars. So all is well on on buyout fundraising. Um, elsewhere, if you think about the health of the venture capital market, that's where the story is a bit mixed. Uh, in the early stage, right, the seed type venture deals, 
where businesses are just getting off the ground, some are pre-revenue. Uh, the deal flow there and valuations are relatively unscathed by the, mar uh, the market volatility and public equities. Uh, you know, the valuation and the outlook for a, a purely uh, early stage uh, conceptual business doesn't really change a lot with uh, public market uh, comps. Justin, is that true with the with the fact that we've seen like that Goldman Sachs uh, unprofitable tech stock index or unprofitable stock index? It's down something like eighty five percent from yeah. the peaks that we saw last year. Is there any correlation to this uh, to the flows into VC uh, due to what we see in the public markets, or really is it a totally separate discussion? So you're right, and and that brings us to the last segment. The, I, I mentioned that the early stage seed type deals are pretty much progressing as, as, as usual. The later stage venture or what they call um, growth equity, and those are usually the pre-IPO type deals. Businesses are larger, revenue is strong, revenue growth is strong. Most are not profitable, but those kind of software type businesses um, that you mentioned that largely uh, dominate that index of, of non-profitable tech in, uh, index that Goldman Sachs maintains. Uh, fundraising, deal flow, and valuations there have all been weak in the private markets. And that's that, that mirrors what we've seen in the public markets in the sense that uh, inflation concerns, higher interest rates, uh, the, those are all heavily, um, you know, uh, influential in the valuations of these uh, software businesses or these late stage tech uh, growthy uh, venture space. And, and so that, that, that's exactly right. So if you look at the index of the venture backed IPOs, uh, those are down about 50% from the beginning of the year, um, pretty much in line with uh, some of the weakest segments of the tech index. And the IPO market, uh, uh, that window is still pretty much closed. So you're right, the, the, that segment, that index uh, is a window into the weakest part of private equity writ large. And, and that is the late stage venture or growth equity segment. It's, it's, kind, of, um, hey, Justin. it's kind of in cardiac right now. Hey, hey Justin, the later stage growth equity, um, are, are those managers or the incremental dollars are they going into other segments of the private market or are the uh, the normal players sitting out right now? It's kind of a pause. The deals that are getting done are a continuation sort of um, providing capital to businesses that are essentially running dry on cash. Those deals are being done pretty close to previous valuations or previous marks. They're very small. They're meant to provide additional runway to try to get toward the IPO. Um, and so the venture funds are backing their own businesses to try the, to give them additional runway, but turning toward other segments or looking for other deals that are outside of your portfolio, that's pretty much ground to a halt as everybody tries to assess the health of their existing portfolio and Justin, fund you, those you, where, where it's required. You mentioned valuation. I mean, how, how are private equity valuations holding up relative to public market valuations? You know, we've definitely seen a huge amount of multiple compression on the public equity side this year. Have you seen the same thing over in PE? Uh, trickier to capture, to be honest. Um, 
of course, the private assets, they lack a market to get an insight into, you know, what's happened to valuations and what's happened to asset prices. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of variation in how managers mark their own investments. So, you know, take what I say with a grain of salt. Uh, but there is a, a um, there, there's another way to sort of get an insight through sort of the back door. And that's, that's the secondaries market. So if you look over the past 15 years, the secondaries for private equity stakes, that's continued to grow. It's a pretty robust and liquid market nowadays. Um, and this is where an investor will sell a stake of a private equity fund um, that, that they've invested in, in a brokered transaction to another investor. We've seen the volume of secondaries in the first half of the year almost double to north of $30 billion. So there is some interesting valuation insights there. Um, on, on average and in aggregate, the discount to net asset value, so the discount to NAV in these deals was about 15%. Uh, if you take just the venture capital segment of the secondaries market, the average discount to NAV was closer to 30%. So it turns out that investors buying these secondary PE and venture capital stakes they're paying prices that are more commensurate with what you're seeing in the public equity market. But the managers themselves, the net asset values, they move a lot slower than do, um, do the transactions in the secondary market. I want to pivot here a little bit and get Don into the conversation. Don, you know, earlier at the, in, the, in the call, I mentioned how we've seen the PPI, CPI this week come in lighter than expectations. That's kind of caused a turn in the U.S. dollar as well. I mean, we've seen the dollar weaker uh, and fairly significantly so on the week. Has this uh, played in the international markets, which I know that you watch very closely for us? Yeah, yes, Steve. Uh, so it, some places around the world have seen a decided turnaround in the last week or two, uh, but other places, especially as jo Justin mentioned, the growth equity spaces in the market, like uh, the China onshore market, we, we haven't really seen that turnaround. Uh, in fact, uh, China CPI came out and it, it was uh, tamer than expected. Um, and the reasons for that really are they continue to shut down in their zero COVID policy. Uh, but they did warn that, you know, uh, CPIs moving forward could actually be above 3%, which, which is pretty rare over there. Um, we, we're actually seeing a, uh, a, a disconnect between the onshore and the offshore market within China, where the higher tech names, the growthier names, uh, are actually starting to uh, gain a little bit more traction than they have earlier in the year. Um, and let's, uh, let's contrast that with what's going on in Europe. Uh, in Europe, it's really a tale of two different places. It's uh, the Eurozone and UK. Uh, the, the UK is very dour and downbeat on the future, expecting much higher CPI numbers in the future. Uh, the Bank of England actually threw out numbers in the 12 to 13 percent range expected over the winter, due mostly to uh, absurd energy costs in a worst case scenario. While the Eurozone, we're actually seeing um, a, a more moderated approach, uh, kind of seeing maybe 5% uh, inflation over the next year or so. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to see how that plays out. But the different central banks are taking much different tact. The Eurozone is actually being a little bit more reactionary to uh, prevailing market conditions. 
while the uh, Bank of England is uh, is uh, going full force uh, ahead and trying to tame what they expect to be a really tough couple year period uh, within uh, within Great Britain. Great conversation today, gentlemen. So Steve, Don, and Justin, thanks for your insights. We appreciate it. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. And as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results. And we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information. And we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of a collection of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services LLC or KISS, member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency USA, Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investment and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2022.